The Megillah begins with a a description of the lavish and opulent feast that Achashverosh tendered for all the people in his in his nation, in his countries, in the hundred and twenty-seven countries that were under his dominion, and the Megillah describes them these. Uh, Sudas that he gave as being very opulent, being very lavish. And the last week of the Suda, the very last week was one the Medrash describes that the Jews of Shushan were invited to. And this was a very uh, questionable invitation. Today, if you're invited to the White House, it's something that I think everybody would probably go to, and it's something very exciting and very... Uh, and, and the Jews of Shushan back then were no less intrigued by the invitation. They also wanted to rub uh, shoulders with the uh, rich and famous and be exposed to the opulence and not give up that opportunity. But Mardachai HaTzadik was very against this. Mordechai Tzadik, the Medrash says, made a very big macha. He protested vehemently against the Jews of Shushan participating and being nene from the Suda of Isai Russia. And, of course, the Jews did not listen to those protests. The Jews were very interested in going. They wanted to go. This was their opportunity to be exposed to to politics, to government, to royalty, to wonderful experiences, to be able to have certain bragging rights, perhaps, that I was invited and I went and I saw. And they went. The Gemara says that because that they went, that was one of the reasons why they were Mechuyev Kalya. They had to be destroyed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had a Gezerah, to utterly destroy every man, woman, and child in the entire world, every Jewish person. National genocide because of this Avera of being nene from the Suda, of getting pleasure deriving Hana from the Suda. And yet we find that there's a Pasuk in the Megillah that says, that at this Suda, people were being served by Ishvayish, and the Gemara says, who is Ishvayish? Haman and Mardukai, which Rashi explains, they served as the Sarah Mashkin. Who were the wine butlers at this Suda? Haman and Mardukai. So Haman, okay, Haman is Haman. Haman always gets his way into everything. But what was Mordechai doing as being a wine butler at this Suda? Isn't that funny? Isn't that strange that the same Mordechai that was protesting vehemently, vehemently against joining, attending this Suda should suddenly find himself in a position as, as actually serving wine, being the butler, being the, the, uh, the, the Saramashkin, for the people at the party, it's very strange. It's obviously a, you know, a, a very, very 
mysterious turn of events here. And the Chaim Panievsky Shlita in his safer time with the crop says an amazing thing. He says to answer this problem that Mardukai was the Gadol Adar and he was also very pragmatic. And he realized that when it was the time to protest against going, he protested. But he didn't say, okay, listen, I warned them, I told them not to, now it's up to them, now they're on their own, I did whatever I could, they don't want to listen, tough nuggies. He didn't say that. What he said was, listen, I tried to protest, I did everything that I could to stop them from attending, but Lamaisa they're attending. I am not going to abandon the ship now. I'm not going to say, well, okay, I warned them and that's it, too bad. I'm going to go there, I'm going to serve as the Saramashkin. And by doing so, I'm going to allow them to drink wine. That's not Yayin Nesach. We're learning in the Sechus the Dafyaymi, about all the laws about Yayin Nesach, how it's also to drink wine that a guy touched, that a guy used, because we're afraid that perhaps the guy was menaseh, the yayin to the Avedizara, this wine may have been used or intended to be used to pour for the Avedizara. That's what they used to do. They used to pour wine libations to the Zara, so it's aser bana. You can't get any benefit out of that wine. That's why we don't use wine that was um, owned by a guy, that was exposed to a guy moving it when it was open. We don't even buy stamyayin, even if we know that it wasn't used for Avedizara. Any wine, there was a general takana, a general decree, we don't use any wine that Gayim touched. So, Mardukai says, I don't want the Gayim to be giving wine to Jews. If I'm not there, who's going to be serving the wine to them? Gayim. It's going to be Ayinetzah, it's going to be Stamyayin, and I can't allow that to happen on my watch. I'm going to go there, I'm going to make sure that all the wine is with a heksher, there's not going to be Ayinetzah going on there, there's not going to be Stamyayinam, I'm going to also make sure to go into the kitchen and serve as the mashkiach there, I'm going to light the fire so that the food that's being cooked is not Bishalakam, it's not food that was cooked by a non-Jew, which is also uh, prohibited. Pasakum, we're not going to have bread that was baked. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure of that. And he uses a lotion of Chaim Kanievsky, Dekama de Esher Latsule Matslinam. Whatever I could save, I save. Whatever I could salvage, I'm going to salvage. I'm not going to just say, yep, can't do anything more than that. They went, not my problem. It is my problem. I told them not to go, but even once they go, I want to try to mitigate the, the disaster. I want to try to make as few problems as possible for them. I want to try to make the wine kosher and the food kosher and everything should be under Ashkocha because that's part of my responsibility as being a, a rob, as being a gadol is to make sure to save whatever I could save, to salvage the situation as best I can, not to allow anything or anyone to be nichshal under my watch. 
My friend, Rabbi Chaim Shapiro, he wanted to to, to use a certain story. It's a beautiful story to accentuate this point that Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky is making about the importance of a Gadol to try to minimize Yisurim as best he can. The great Kapishnitzer Rebbe, who was a, uh, he was from Galicia and he came um, to America after the war and he was uh, a very big Gadol. Rav Aaron Kotler said about the Kapishnitzer Rebbe that he was the Gadol Hadar for Tzedakah and Chesed. That's not a small statement for Rav Aaron Kotler to make. And Rav Aaron loved him, or Moshe loved him. He was very beloved. He was a member of the Agudas Yisrael of America, the Mayetzes. He was a very powerful, important figure in American history, but I don't know how many people know of him. One time, on Yom Kippur, the Kapishnit Sarebbe was walking, and he was walking in the, uh, in the streets, and there was a non-kosher restaurant on the way, I guess, between his shtibol and his home. And he looks in the window for a second, and he notices that there was a yid that was sitting in this non-kosher restaurant, eating on Yom Kippur, which is a problem in and of itself, obviously, compounded by the fact that he was eating trafin of food, and... Obviously, the Kapishan Sarebbe and all the Hasidim around them were quite stunned to see a Yid eating non-kosher food on Yom Kippur in a trafe in a restaurant, Bifaresya. The Kapishan Sarebbe goes into this restaurant, walks right over to the table of this Yid, and you would expect the next line would be that he would give him taichacha and musar and say, you're a sheikitz and you're a bum and you're a, you know, you're a pirate's gather and you're... The Kabbishnitz Rebbe says to this Yid, he says, Rebbe Yid, es mit appetit, which is Yiddish for Rebbe Yid, eat with a hearty appetite. And he walks out and all the Hasidim are like, huh? <laughs> what was that? The Kabbishnitz Rebbe is like aiding and abetting this. He's telling this Jew to eat with a hearty appetite. Is that like really the, you know, is that the textbook thing that a person's supposed to say to a Jew eating in a trafe in a restaurant in Kippur? And they asked him, why did you say that to this Jew? And he said like this, he says there's two ways of eating. And there's two ways of doing an Avera in general. Some people do an Avera and they're called a Mummer Lahachist, which means that I'm a Mummer, I'm going against Hashem, Lahachist, and I'm doing it because I'm angry at God. I'm doing this because I want to get back at God. I'm angry, I have tightness against Him, and I have an axe to grind with Him. I'm going to eat on Yom Kippur because I'm a Mummer Lahachist. That's like the worst, that's the code red Avera on Yom Kippur to do, or in any day to do. Whatever we do, if it's a mummer lahaches, that's like, ooh, that's the worst. There's a lower level madrega, which is not good either, but that's called a mummer l'tayavin. A mummer l'tayavin means that I'm a mummer, I'm not doing taira mitzvahs, it's true, but I'm not doing it because I'm angry at God, I have nothing with God, I'm fine. But, 
I have a teva and I have a taiva. I'm, I'm about taiva. What can I do? I'm hungry on Yom Kippur. I eat on Yom Kippur. Nothing to do with God. I'm not trying to rebel against Him. I just have a strong Yetzirah. I don't want to fast today. So I'm going to eat on Yom Kippur. That's a mumlutayav. And that's not a good thing either, obviously. But it's lower in terms of the Einish in Shemayim. It's a lower level Einish. It's not a code red, it's a code orange in Shemayim when a person eats Lateyavim as opposed to eating Lahafis. The Kapishas Rebbe said, I saw this Yid eating on Yom Kippur in a treif in a restaurant. I didn't want him to go up to Shemayim and they should throw the book at him for being a Mummer Lahafis that he's eating because he's angry with God, and that's why he went into that restaurant. That's why he's eating the trape and the food on Yom Kippur. So I went in, and I said, Revid esmit appetit. I want you to have a hearty appetite. What does that mean? I want you to eat, and when you're eating, eat with a geschmack. Enjoy it. Have a hearty appetite, which means I want it to lower the level. I want it to make him a code orange. I wanted him to eat because he's a mummer l'tayavim. Don't be a mummer l'hachas. Be a mummer l'tayavim. And by saying have a hearty appetite, meaning have a table when you're eating, have a have a strong desire to eat, enjoy the food, get a geschmack from it, because that way I wanted to save him that gehenim of the difference between being a mummer l'hachas and being a mummer l'tayavim. That's such a beautiful illustration of what Mordechai did, what Rechaim Kanievsky said is so important for a gadol to do. As much as you're able to salvage, if you're a gadol or you're a yid, try to salvage. A little, even a microscopic difference makes all the difference in the world. Mordechai HaTzadik was very against, was super against the yidin going and partaking of this treif in a meal. Treif in every way. Treif with a, with a food, treif with a wine, treif with all of the pretzels and the arayas that were accompanying it. He was very against this. But that didn't stop him once it was a fait accompli. Once they were going to do it anyway, that did not stop Mordechai from entering that palace and being the Saramashkin, being the wine butler, to make sure that the yayin was not a yayin nesach. I want to lower the madrega of Avera. Let them not drink yayin nesach. Let them not eat pas akum. Let them not eat bishal akum. Because kama de efshar la'atsule matzlinon. Whatever I could salvage, whatever I could save, whatever I could spare my brethren from in terms of doing an Avera, let me do that. I want to go into one detail of this party. And we're going to come full circle again with this Reb Chaim Kanievsky. So don't forget it just yet, or ever. But listen well to the next detail of this party. The Megillah says that one of the things that Achashverosh did at the party for these Jews in Shushan He gave them golden utensils, the chelim mikelim shaynim. And he gave them different types of vessels, different types of kelim to use. 
What do we know about those words, Mikhailum, Mikhailum, Shainim? It's read in a different trap. It's read in an Echa trap. All of a sudden, on Purim, everyone's happy, and all of a sudden, we get like a, an infusion, all of a sudden, of Tishavav in the Megillah reading. Why? So the simple reason for this is that these vessels, these kalim that were given to the Jews to eat and to drink out of, were none other than the Klei Mikdash. The Klei Mikdash, those temple utensils, those temple plates and forks and, and spoons and knives and whatever was used in the Beis Mikdash, we know was pillaged by Nebuchadnezzar. He had them. He had the big day Kayin Gadol, which we'll read about the Shabbos and Parashat Tzavah. And Achashverosh, in fact, wore the big day Kayin Gadol at this party. And he served the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash. He used those to serve the Jews in Shushan. And this was tragic that we would be served and we would actually use those kalim from the Beis HaMikdash. Imagine how that would be. We're at a party and they're bringing out the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash and the Jews go and use them. This was a churban all over again. And we, it's an echa, it's a tishabav that we have in the middle of our Purim. That's the simple pshat. In the kalim, the kalim, shainim, that's one pshat, I should say. It's not the simple, that's the medrash pshat. But the simple pshat is the kalim, the kalim, shainim, the medrash says that Achashverosh did not allow the people at his party to reuse any dish. Every time that you used a dish, it was like they would, you know, right away give you a brand new dish. If you go to a restaurant and you, you drink a, a glass of water, you always go to a restaurant and when they, and the waiter comes over, would you like tap water or would you like sparkling water? Would you like, uh, you know, a Perrier or, no, 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 just give me the tap water from the sink. Because if you try, if they give you the other water, it's like ten bucks a bottle. So you drink it. What happens? They right away come and they refill it. By Achashverosh Yisudah, they didn't do that. You finish your glass of water, they either give it to you to keep, according to one shot in the Medrash, or maybe they take it away, they give you a brand new cup. You finish your plate, take it away, you're never going to see that plate again. New plate, you don't reuse anything. They don't say keep your fork, keep your... Everything was, you used it, it was gone. V'cheilem mikeilem shaynim. Which is a strange thing. Why, why can't I reuse my glass? Why can't I reuse my plates? Why can't I reuse my cutlery? What is Achashverosh showing? Obviously, it's a show of, of, of opulence, to show that how grand everything was. That's obviously definitely a good shot. But I wanted to try to dig today a little bit deeper and try to figure out why would Achashverosh do this? Was there something perhaps more that we can understand about the kavana, the intent of Achashverosh constantly causing us to use new dishes. And I think I may have a hypothesis. This is not necessarily the right shot, but it might be. And even if it's not the right shot, I think there is a lot of truth to be gleaned from it. 
And this pshat is based on a story that I read last week about a very well-known rabbi in America by the name of Rabbi Marvin Heyer. Rabbi Marvin Heyer, for those of you who may not know, is a rav in California, in Los Angeles. He is one of the most famous and influential rabbis in America. Whenever they have these lists of rabbis, like the 50 most influential rabbis, you know, I think Newsweek magazine or one of the magazines, you know, puts out a list every year or so of the 50 most influential. I always right away, you know, look to see if my name is on it. Uh, if anyone wants to nominate me for future years, I wouldn't mind. But my name is never on it for some reason. But Rabbi Marvin Heyer always is like on the top of the list. He's like, and you know, it's strange because, you know, you'd think that, you know, we know other, you know, maybe Shmuel Kamenetsky should make the list, but he's never on it either. So they have obviously a different set of uh, criteria to make the list than perhaps we might have. But Rabbi Marvin Heyer is an Orthodox Jew. Most of the people on the list, I believe, are not. But he's an Orthodox Shemitah Mitzvah, and he is the head of the Simon Wiesenthal Center um, in Los Angeles, and he does a lot of good for Klal Yisrael, and he's, uh, he's quite well known. In fact, he gave the, uh, one of the benedictions for the president of the last inauguration. He was the one that gave a, the, the Jewish uh, bracha to the, to the new administration. So, Rabbi Heyer was invited to Buckingham Palace. He's a famous rabbi from America. They had some sort of royal uh, su'uda in Buckingham Palace. The Queen of England herself, Her Majesty, sent a beautiful invitation to Rabbi Heyer in Los Angeles to come to a certain celebration, a certain su'uda that she's inviting him to at Buckingham Palace. Now, that's a very big covet. Also, I was not zayichet to that yet. But it's a very big honor, obviously. So Rabbi Heyer RSVP'd, thank you very much for the invitation, but I'm a, an observant Orthodox Jew, and as such, I only eat kosher food. If there's going to be kosher food available for me at your party, at your dinner, then I'm there. But if not, I have to respectfully decline. So they got back to him. We will have kosher food for you. He says, okay, but that's not all I need. He says, I don't just need kosher food. I need that the plates and the cutlery and the glasses and the goblets, I need that to be kosher too. They said, we'll look into it. We'll get back to you. And they... I guess they consulted, you know, a rabbi, and the uh, and they got back. He said, "No problem. When you come, you will have everything that you need. Everything will be under rabbinical supervision. You have no nothing to worry about. Come to the party. We're looking forward to having you." And he came. Comes into the party in the beautiful halls of of the palace, and the queen is there, and the prince Prince Charles is there, and other chashuvim, and all the people around were all the the creme de la creme, I guess, of British society of, I don't know if it was a religious uh, uh, clergy event or it was in general, people, whatever it was, it's not really important. What was important was there, but Hire sits down in his seat 
and he sees that his dishes, his china, and his glasses and his cutlery were identical to everyone else sitting at his table. And so he calls over the maitre d' and he whispers about the whole issue that he had and that he was assured that he would have kosher dishes and it seems like no one paid attention to him. Everybody has the same dishes. And the maitre d' says, Rabbi, look under the plate. And under the plate, sure enough, there was like a sticker or some stamp of some sort that it was cashered and it was taken care of. It's, it's just, it's fine. The cutlery was done, the dish, everything was, was done, prepared perfectly for Rabbi Hire to sit and enjoy his meal. So, they brought out the food, first course, and Rabbi Hire sat with his kosher food and ate. And then there was a strange minig that they had in Buckingham Palace that after every course is served, they move everybody from one table to another table. You don't sit at the same table and get served course after course after course, and there's eight courses. In Buckingham Palace, apparently, they move you to another table. So at the other table, there was brand new settings, and Rabbi Hire moved to the other table and noticed that under the plate there was no simon or anything. It was just like a hefkerbel. Now from now on, you know, the, all, everyone's the same. Every plate is the same. Every glass, every cutlery. So what Rabbi Hire did was he took all. He went back to his first table. He took the plates and all the you know the, the everything from his setting, and he started carrying those settings to the next table. Now, obviously, this is not, you know, normal to see a guest, like, schlepping, you know, but to his great credit, he did this. And who should he bump into on the way? Prince Charles. Prince Charles gives him Shalom Aleichem, you know, and he couldn't even extend his hand because he was carrying all of his plates and his cups and his, and his silverware. And... Prince Charles says, how are you, Rabbi Hire? You know, my, my name is Prince Charles. And can I ask you what you're doing? You're carrying all of your plates and everything. Well, what's going on in there? So he explains to him that he's an Orthodox Jew and he keeps kosher. But Prince Charles says, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, the fact that Jews have special kosher dietary laws. But what's with the plates? So he says, well, we not only have to eat kosher food, but the utensils that we use also must be kosher. They must be kosherized in a certain way. They have to be either a brand new plate or they have to, you know, there's a process that has to be done in order that a Jew can eat from his, from his utensils. They have to be kosherized as well, which is something that Prince Charles had no idea about and he was very interested in because he's a man that's very interested in religion, Kiyodua. And, and they were discussing further, you know, how, how he had originally uh, been promised that there would be kosher plates, and in fact that there were, but then he realized that as he has to move to the next table, there the plates were not kosher, and so he wanted to move his plate to the next table. And Prince Charles was obviously very impressed by this. 
And as they were conversing, and people obviously realized that the rabbi is talking to the prince, and it's probably about a Jewish religious-related matter, plus this Jew is carrying all his plates and everything, something's up. So there was another Jew in the hall that was invited to the party, and you know, everybody's vying for a chance to schmooze with Prince Charles. It's very rare, you know, even if you get invited to the, you know, to, to Buckingham Palace, doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a, a, you know, actually FaceTime with anybody. And he says, oh, you know, here's, a, they're probably talking about Jewish matters. So this Jew was not, he was bareheaded, he wasn't a Shemitah Mitzvah, but he used that as a vehicle to, you know, to break into the conversation, to be a part of things. He says to Prince Charles, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm Jewish too. So Prince Charles looks at him, and he says, Maybe so, but you're not carrying any plates. I was very impressed by this, by this Misa. And then I started thinking that maybe we could apply this a little bit to the Megillah. You see, like we said before, Mordechai Atzadik was the Rava Mafshir of this party. He made sure that the wine was not Yain Nesach. He made sure that the food was not Paspalter, it wasn't Pasakam, it wasn't Bishalakam. He tried to save it as much as he can. Like the Kapishan Sarebi, he tried to mitigate as many pounds as he could. And he made sure, no doubt, that the Kalim were kashered. The pots were kashered. Then the cutlery was good that was being used to serve. But Achashverosh was a step ahead of Mordechai. And Achashverosh said, fine, let the Jew kosher the table, whatever is being set. But then we're going to make sure that no one gets to use the kalim again. The kalim michalim shainim. The first course will give them Everything under rabbinical supervision, just like Rabbi Heyer had the first course perfect. But after that, you have to move to another table where there's new settings that Mordechai was not able to change. And now stood the test for Klal Yisrael. Were they going to use those utensils, the new utensils that were being served to them, or are they going to be carrying their plates from one table to another table? Were they going to extend themselves for halacha? Were they going to make sure that I don't care where I am, it could be Buckingham Palace, it could be the White House, it could be the Great Palace of Shushan, but halacha is halacha. I'm going to carry my plate from one meal to another, from one course to another, from one table to another. Never mind, Caleb and Caleb Shainim, I'm not going to succumb to the plot of Achashverosh to try to move me a, a chutasaira, a hair's breadth away from Tyrus Meisha. I'm going to stay true to my religion. Bechelim, Mikhailim, Shainim. Klal Yisrael failed. 
They use the new utensils. We're in the palace. We do the minigam makin. We tried. We started. Everything was under rabbinical supervision. We had the badatzes hechsher on it. And what happens afterwards, too bad. We're not going to carry our plates. That much we're not expected to do. That much we're not going to do. And that was the churban of Kal Yisrael. That's why we were in Yishayvu Kalya, because we succumbed at this point of the Kalim, the Kalim Shainim. We, we, we refused to carry our plates. We refused to maintain our fidelity to halacha. Because after all, here we are. We are being embraced by the Malchus. We must not act strangely. We must not stick to our values. And this was the beginning of the end for Kal Yisrael. At this point, the Kalim Yikalim Shainim, we refuse to be those people that carry their plates from course to course. You know, the Mepharshim on the Shulchan Aruch and the Mepharshim on the Rambam have a special designation, which I'm sure you all know. We don't just call them Mepharshim Shulchan Aruch or Mepharshim Rambam. You know what we call them? We call them the Naisei Kalim. The Naisei Kalim, which means those that carry the Kalim, they carry the plates. It's a strange name. You could say, well, it's the Shulchan Aruch, it's the set tables, these are the people that are the carriers of the plates. So call them the, uh, I don't know, Yeshvei Shulchan, I don't know, why you call them the Neisei Kalim. And just as a thought, like it might be that these Mepharshim, they're carrying their plates. They're carrying their plates from halacha to halacha, from sif to sif, from sifkatan to sifkatan. They don't say, well, you know, we start out good and then just like whatever happens, happens. You know, try your best and, uh, but after a while, you know, it's fine. You, you did enough. Nice Kalim means like Rabbi Hire. I'm taking my plate and I'm carrying it from one halacha to halacha to halacha to halacha until the very end of the meal. That's what's expected of a yid. A real Jew doesn't say, well, you know, I'm a Jew, but like, but I don't like carrying my plates. A real Jew is a nice Kali. He carries the plate. It might not be comfortable. It might not always be easy. It might be very, very uncouth. Especially if you're in the trappings of royalty, of monarchy. But this is what I do. I'm the Naisei Kalim. I'm carrying my plate because that's what Halacha tells me I must. I'll give you an example of of this. There was once upon a time a guy on an airplane. And he's a from Yid and he gets his airline meal served to him. And he opens up the meal, and I don't know if you have this, uh, you know, you have a lot of, there's a lot of halachic uh, 
dilemmas with an airline meal. First, I have to know if you should eat it in general. Like, you know, is it edible? That's the first question. That's not a lot of but that's a general question. Um, but you're hungry, you want to eat it. Now you have, you open it up, and there's like always that mezainous roll. And, you know, and then you have like the rabbi in the back of your brain saying that mezainous roll is halachic fiction. Doesn't really, can't make a mezainous roll. You have to be kaveyasud, you have to wash, but it's on an airplane, I don't want to wash. And back and forth. Sometimes you just like say a very quick design if you put it in your mouth and you know that's good. That's that's the end of it. That's what some people do. Uh, this person was about to do that and then he said, mm, you know what, let me just wash, I'll be convinced through that I'll wash. He already opened up it was a sandwich. It was uh, like a like a, a pastrami sandwich. And he opened it up and then he had this, you know, nagging thought that he should probably wash and not do the mezainas thing. So he gets up, he goes to the sink, to the bathroom, which is itself like a, you know, you bring a cup or you find a cup in there, one of those little cups. And there's so many halachic problems. But he got around and he was able to wash, comes back, and he takes a little piece and makes hamaitzi, and then like all of a sudden it occurs to him that maybe he shouldn't be eating this sandwich. Why not? Had the hefsher, everything was, was looks right. It was a black kosher meal he ordered. There's a problem because it's basar shenis alim in ayin. Basar shenis alim in ayin means that if there's meat that is left exposed and there are gayim around, you're not allowed to eat it anymore unless it has a simon, unless it's wrapped still or... You know, obviously you have to know all of the, the specifics of the halacha, but the generality of the halacha is that basar shenis alam in ayin is also. You can't eat meat that was exposed to gayim left, left open because the fear is that maybe a guy that was around may have swapped his meat for your meat and you can't recognize the difference and you'll end up eating trafin of meat um, instead of your kosher meat. So he says, you know what? There's gayim all over the airplane. There's gayim, in fact, sitting right next to me. I left it open. I wasn't around for a few minutes while I was going to wash. You know, I probably shouldn't be eating it. Now, what would you do? You make the call. What would you do if that was you? Yeah, I'm sure there's Paiskin that are Matirid, and you know, I could have Yaitzivinichnas, and Mirsis, and you know, whatever. You'll come up with all these, and you'll, make, you'll eat the sandwich. It'll be over. This Jew actually had more of a conscience than you and I, and he says, I can't eat it. Can't eat it. It's not alone enough that there was a hefsher to begin with on the sandwich. That doesn't mean that, you know, all's fair in love and war. Once there's a hefsher on the sandwich, you know, I could do anything I want. The first course was fine. It's under the badats on the Mordechai Tzadik. So I could just, after that, whatever happens, happens. I have to be true to halach. I have to be a nice keli. I have to carry my plate from one meal to another, from one halach to another. I can't stop Shulchan Aruch just because it's a little uncomfortable for me. And so what this Jew did was he didn't eat it. Now that's not the end of the story. It could be, but it's not. There was a guy, like I said, sitting right next to him noticing what he was doing. And he said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question? He says, uh, no, you can ask me a question. He says, well, I noticed that you opened up your sandwich. Obviously, you wanted to eat it, and now you're not eating it. Why not? 
So he said, well, it's complicated and, you know, I, I can't explain some religious thing. He says, well, I have time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sitting on this airplane for another 10 hours. Why don't you try explaining it to me? He says, okay. He says, us Orthodox Jews, we keep dietary laws of kashras and we, uh, and one of the many laws that we have to keep is that if we keep meat that's exposed uh, to other people, we're not allowed to eat it lest a non-Jew perhaps, you know, traded his meat for, for the Jewish meat, which would render it not kosher. And that's why I didn't eat it. Obviously, it seems far-fetched, but this is what the rabbis told us, and we, we don't do that. At this point, the non-Jew sitting next to him was like turning red and green and pink and blue. And he says, is there a problem? The Jew asked the non-Jew. He says, there's no problem, but I want you to know something. says, when you went to the bathroom, I looked at your sandwich. You had a kosher pastrami sandwich. I had a non-kosher pastrami sandwich. You know, they always make the Jewish food and the non-Jewish food pretty much identical looking. And he said, I always wanted to taste what a genuine kosher pastrami sandwich tastes like. Always want, you know, kosher meat. Everyone knows kosher pastrami and kosher meat and, you know, deli, kosher. And, you know, is it more salty? Is it less salty than non... You know, so when you were in the bathroom, I switched some of your meat for my meat. And I didn't think it was a big deal. He says, you should know how correct your rabbis were whenever it was 2,000 years ago when they ordained this thing, when they decreed this thing, they were right on the money. That's an amazing story on many levels, but what I think I want to take from it is that this person was a nice Kaylee. A lot of them, it's a kosher meal, so I could do, you know, any bracha that I have. Once it has that seal, the OU or chasidish shlita or whatever it is, you know, everything else is fine. I did what I needed to do. I ordered the glot meal, and now the Suffolk brachas that I have, you know, do that quickly. Mezayin Yisrael, Hamaytzi, you know, Basr Shnesalamina Ayin, Seder Abrachas, Yasha and Chadash, you know, all that could go out the window because I have a co- I have a glot kosher meal. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. The nice Kalim are people that are true and loyal and responsible to every halacha. They don't just say, well, I tried, I did what I could, and that's it. It's under Mordechai Tzadik Tzachshar, so now I can do anything that I want under this umbrella of Badatz. No. You have to carry your plate. The Kalim Mikalim Shainim is a Chorban. When a person starts not carrying the plate and just taking the new plates and assuming that that's okay, that's a big problem. And you know, it's not just a problem with halacha, it's a problem with Yiddishkeit in general. Because a lot of times we permit ourselves, once we're out in the quote-unquote real world, 
we start strong, we start being B'nai Taira when we go out to work, or we go to a summer internship, or we go to a graduate school. We start off very from, but then over the course of time, when things become more inconvenient, more embarrassing, we start acting differently. Originally, we come through the doors of our graduate program or this or that or our new job and we're still having our tzitzis out and wearing our hats and we're, you know, we're like do, being good, you know, Jewish B'nai Taira soldiers, you know, going and fighting the good fight. But with the passage of time, it becomes inconvenient for us to maintain that level of shmira. And we stop carrying our plates from course to course and from day to day. I have a Talmud who, a wonderful Bentaira, really true Bentaira, and he, I don't know, he came to Yeshiva once, like a, a year after he started, he left the base Medrash and he had a job in some corporation and he started very strong and he says, you know, over the course of time it really becomes difficult to maintain that level of, of commitment to Taira and Yiddishkeit. It does. He says, I'll give you an example. He says, he was a very, he's a very tall boy. And he says he was working for a, uh, a company and it was, uh, Kratzmach time, you know, winter, the winter season. And they were setting up in part of the office a holiday party. And they had a, a tall tree. And on top of the tree, I'm sure nobody knows about this, but they put a, a gold star on the top of the tree. Not a mug and double. And he says they didn't have a ladder in the office. So they said, hey, Chaim. That's not his real name. He said, hey, Chaim. Um, there would be like an asterisk in the, you know, name, uh, you know, changed. Um, would you mind, you're tall, would you mind, like, just putting that, the, 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 the star, the gold star on top of the tree? Nobody else could reach it in the office. And he said, you know, had I stopped and thought about it for a few minutes, I would have said, I'm sorry that I can't. It's against my religion. I'm not saying I lost my so I don't even know what a tree is. I don't even know if that's a religious thing or not. And afterwards, I'm sure everyone's going to give me their own ideas about it. But whatever it is, we know it's not a Jewish thing. I think we can all agree it's definitely not a Jewish thing. And it's definitely probably, you know, Abedizara-oriented in some form or another. And if it's not Abedizara-oriented, then it certainly seems like it is to me. And with, But without thinking, like, he just like, okay, you know, and he puts it up on the tree. And then afterwards, he felt really bad about that. And he says, you know... This is what's happening to me. So I used to be learning Ketzaisas and Nesivas and, and you know, Rashvas and Ritvas, and now I'm putting up a, a gold star on the top of a Kratzmach tree. Now, this is not ranking, you know, out people that go to work. Work is a good thing, and it's important. You have to earn a parnas of a chule, a chule. But it just shows the natural, unfortunate erosion of of Zahiras that comes with working in the workforce. And it's no different in graduate programs. I know people that they're, they're working in non-Jewish colleges, 
and graduate school programs. And I asked him, like, what's the story on campus? I think I met a guy who was like, like the Hillel, one of the heads of the Hillel House in a very big Gayesha campus, non-Jewish campus, which is known to have a huge Hillel House. And a lot of people think that it's okay to go to that particular non-Jewish because they're so strong. You know, their Hillel is huge. And I asked him, like, what's the real story? Because is, is there truth? Maybe it is. Maybe there's like a pocket in that campus that's not much Lander College for men. And he says, what happens is on the campus, and I'll be honest with you, he said, he says, the first week or two, we have a huge minion in the morning. All the people that went to, you know, this yeshiva, that yeshiva, Eretz Yisrael, this place, that place, we all come and we're solid, they're there, you know, they're coming, and they're coming on Shabbos, and there's Miras and Shalom Aleichem. And then, with the passage of time, it could be a few weeks, some people are stronger, it's a few months, but over time, the minion of 100, 200, 300 dwindles down to barely a minion, even not getting a minion. That's the pace of erosion that happens with Tyra, with mitzvahs, with people that are not obsessed with being a nice Kaylee. You know, in Yeshiva, we're very spoiled. Like, we think it's natural to everything is easy here. You know, what's the, the biggest problem that we have is maybe the bagels are, are a few hours old. That's our biggest problem. But everything else is, everything is served, you know, is, is kosher, of course, and everything, kalim, and we have shmiru, and we have, you know, everything is kedasu, kedin, nothing, the waters are, the water is filtered, and, you know, that's because we're living here on Never Neverland. But when you go out into the real world, all of a sudden, there are so many halachic problems. Not halachic problems, just Yiddishkeit problems. How do I stay strong? How do I march against the current, that strong current that's trying to push me to do what everyone else does? At a holiday season to go to a, to go to a holiday party and to mingle with people. Do I go? Do I not go? Do I wear a yarmulke at work? Do I not wear a yarmulke at work? Do I wear my tzitzis out? Do I not wear my tzitzis out? Should I take that invitation to the boss's uh, pool party? Should I not take my, that invitation? It's going to help my career, but it's not so great to be there, obviously. There are so many issues. I don't even know that. I'm speaking like I'm a big maven. I'm not, Baruch Hashem. But just from anecdotal evidence, Talmidim telling me what I know, what I, it's hard. It's a very, very big challenge. Revolvi has a letter, the Alishur, there's a lot of volumes, I have the first one, of letters that Revolvi wrote to people that corresponded with him. And we have many, many letters from him. Many of them are fascinating. So one letter in particular is, is a letter that I love very much. It's a letter that I generally uh, use at the end of the year, before the summer, before graduation. And he writes so beautifully to a Talmud who left Eretz Yisrael and he went to London. And he went to London in order to, uh, to work and he felt himself eroding, like Yiddishkeit-wise. He felt like, you know, he started off, he had a chavrusa, and he lost his chavrusa. He used to make a seid in a base medrash. He stopped the seid in the base medrash. And he finds himself, like, starting to, you know, drown in London. And he writes to his rabbi to revolve, like, what should I do? 
And Revolbi basically tells me, you have to machazik yourself, you have to go back to the base medish, and this person has a very good yeshiva, and you should try checking that out, and this out. And then Revolbi writes, Ubechlau, the litmus test of every Ben Taira is not when you're in Yeshiva. It's the day that you have to leave Yeshiva. That's when your metal is tested. How are you able to maintain yourself when you leave the walls of the Yeshiva? That's the test of a Ventaira. When you're in Yeshiva, it's not such a big, it is a kunz, but it's not a huge kunz. It's not a big trick to be a good boy when you're in Yeshiva. It's fairly easy. You come to davening, you come to first aid, you go to a Gishmakashir, you eat a kosher lunch, you go to, to college in the afternoon, you come back, you're supposed to come back for night seder, after night seder, there's uh, Titian, and there's Kumzitz, and there's Vadin, and there's Shmuzin, and there's Shir Klolis, and there's uh, Kyle guys, and there's Shalom Meshivs, and there's, you know, Bayez uh, Chams, and, and uh, Shabbos, and Yantiv, and this and that. There's so much going on. It's not such a big deal. You don't deserve a standing ovation necessarily for being a good boy in Yeshiva. When do you deserve a standing ovation? When do we have to check your pulse if you're a Ben or not? When you leave the yeshiva, the day that you exit the yeshiva, that's the day that everything, everything is tested, and everything is measured, and everything, that's what separates the men from the boys. When you leave the Kaisley-based magic, and now you're faced with all types of nisyanis, with all types of challenges, with a daily challenge of Shmir Sainayim, that's, that's, that's really, really difficult to go on a subway in the summer, and to go walk on the streets of Manhattan, or Chicago, Los Angeles, to be able to talk to uh, your colleagues in a certain way when they're not talking in a certain way to you. That's the test of a Ventura. That's the real test of a Ventura. That's when you see Who's here by night seder? Do the guys that go to work and then they come, you go to a city like Passaic. Passaic is a city that's a very hush of a city. I mean, Sachs is a rub in a very big shul there. But I think every shul, Kimak in Passaic, you go there at night seder at night and you'll find a robust full room of balabatim chashuvim that are sitting and learning. Not by, not like a sprinkling of them, but like dozens, maybe hundreds of balabatim that are sitting in shuls all across the state learning. And this is true for many cities. It's not true for many cities also. There are many shul, cities, you go to a shul and they open for mincha mayrib maybe if they get a minion. And then that's it. There's no halacha, there's no learning, there's no chabrusa, there's no basement, no shoot. It's just basically, that's, it's a, just a davening city. There, there are communities that the Balabatim, to their great credit, and in the morning, some of them wake up early learning a dafyayme at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. That's a real bentaira. That's who you should point to and say, that's a bentaira. A bentaira in yeshiva is also pretty cool, but that's not so 
impressive as when you find a person that left the base medrash and still is moored and tethered so strongly to the base medrash and to the values of the base medrash throughout the day. Listen to what he says. The sham ain't eitzo. Outside in the street, there is no eitzo. Mechrochem lis ametz maimetz timidi. You have to be a constant gibar. You have to be a warrior at every moment. Kedei loyla abedes hatsura so that you don't change your tsura. You don't change your demeanor. You don't change your, your profile. Your identity. Kedivrei taira kasha liknoisen kklizav. Chazal tell us that Taira is as hard to acquire as it is to acquire a golden vessel. And it's as easy to lose. You think, well, I got Taira, I'm a Ben Taira, it's mine forever. No. It's so easy to drop Taira, just like it's easy to shatter a glass on the floor, a crystal vase. You walk, it does it, it drops, it does it. It's not like gold that it just, you know, maybe it gets dented, but it's intact. It's finished, it's smithereens. Revolvi says, when you acquire Tyra, it's hard. We know it's hard to acquire Tyra. To sit and learn is very hard. But it's so easy to lose. It's like a reputation. Reputation is very hard to acquire. A good reputation, it's easy, very easy to lose a good reputation. One bad mice, your reputation is finished. That's how Tyra is. And listen to Revolvi ends the letter. He says, As you walk along the beautiful streets of London. And when you ride on the tube, you know what the tube is? If you ever went to London, you know what the tube is? The subway system, the underground. They call it the tube. And the trolleys, the trolley cars, I don't think they have them anymore, but they used to have beautiful, you know, it's nice, London, beautiful city, the tube, the underground subway system, and the trolleys, and the, you know, beautiful, geschmack, when you're walking and when you're traveling on those things. Zecharna, remember, please, shehincha machzik biadayim kli zechuches crystal yakar ma'ay, you're carrying in your hands at all times as you walk through the streets of London, you're carrying a crystal vase, very expensive, at all times. Ubal yipom yadecha, Make sure that you never drop that crystal. What is Rebalbi saying? That we're always nice kalim. Not just halacha kalim. We're carrying kalim at all times, whether we realize it or not. Every time we walk out of the door of yeshiva, or every time we go on our computer, which is also like walking out the door of yeshiva, and we're looking at things, we're carrying a glass crystal vase in our hands, and if we trip, God forbid, it's shattered like that. It's so easy to lose all that we've worked so hard to accomplish. We work years and years of our life to be b'nei Torah, to have Yerushalayim, to have Shmir Seinayim, to have Diktuk and Mitzvah and Halacha, to have Asmada, to have Amelos, to have Yegiyah, to accomplish so much. So difficult, we worked and we paid for it with our blood, with our sweat, with our tears, with the best years of our life. And it's so easy to fall. It's so easy to drop. 
We never should be Jews that are kalim kalim shainim Jews that will just, you know, accept that as the reality. Okay, when I was in yeshiva, I was a good boy. I dropped my crystal. Here, let's start with a new setting. Okay, it's not as kosher, and it's not as from, and it's not as good, and it's not, but it's new. It's my new chapter of life. It's my new persona. Never fall into that trap that so many of us fall into. Find a community, find a base medrash, find a rebbe that's going to make sure that you're always strong. Because the Yidin and Shushan were nana, misuda Rush, they had a geschmack from the Suda. Not just that they ate from the Suda, they just partake. They liked this concept. They brought into this concept that we could change. That it's Kalim Mikalim Shainim. We tried, we started out, Mordecai gave the action, but now all bets are off. New tableware, new setting, new course, new reality. It's my new persona, it's my new Yiddishkeit, it's my new version of me. The Kalim Mikalim Shainim is the Chorban of Kal Yisrael. And only once Kal Yisrael were destined to be destroyed by the Gezeira, did they do tshuva? And how did they do tshuva? Kimu the kiblu hayehudim, they were makabal, kimu mashu kiblu kvar. They re-embraced the Torah with all the halachas, with all the dikdukim. They decided firmly that we're not going to be Kalim Shainim Jews. We're going to stay true to our identity, to who we are. We're going to maintain our fidelity, our fealty to, to the Rabbi to his Torah. We're going to re-accept the Har Sinai, a Nasev and Nishma approach. And we're not going to slide. We're going to be Kalim. We're going to be Nase Kalim of the Rabbi Nishalim. And look at how on Purim, of all days, we're Nase Kalim. Think about that for a minute. What do we do on Purim? We carry around plates. Mishloyach manes ishlareyehu. Everybody's running around beautifully in Kal Yisrael, bringing plates to other people. Naisei kalim. Matanislav yainim, bringing around the pushka plate, the charity plate, the sudas Purim. Plates upon plates upon plates, carrying new dishes and new dishes and new dishes. There's a Gemara in Megillah that says that Abaye once went to a Suda, and first he went to Rabba Suda, he ate a lot, but then he went to the Suda of Mari Barmar, and he had third, he had sixty different courses there, each with sixty different type, with sixty different types of of, of meals. He says the last meal that was served me was pot roast, which was so delicious I still had appetite by then. And he says that it was so good that I wanted to eat the plate itself. That's how delicious it was. As if to say, there's something chashev on Purim about the plates. We're nice Kalim. We are Jews that carry the plates proudly. From halacha to halacha, from day to day, from subway to subway. 
we carry the plates, and Purim is a day that we show our loyalty to those plates. How we're not going to leave them. How we're going to be loyal servants of the real king, of the Melech, Malchei Amlochem. We're not going to accept a new version of, of, of Yiddishkeit. We're not going to accept a new version of ourselves. We're not going to fall for the Kalem Mikalem Shainim Chorban. We're going to stay true to the original plates that we were given and carry them with us from one meal to another. And we bring those plates all over on Purim. Plates, plates, plates. Because that's what we have committed ourselves to at Harsinai, and that's what we have recommitted ourselves to on Purim. Me'avas Hanes. We saw the mistake of changing plates and we say, no, 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 no. We are going to maintain our love and truth and adherence to maintaining the same plate and to carrying them with us. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be zeicha this Purim to recommit ourselves to all of these values that we know are true. So many competing values in the, in the, in the marketplace of, of, Ju- of Judaism. So many other types of sectors of, of Klai Yisrael that have steadily eroded this truth that we hold so dear that it's okay to eat on different plates. It's okay to be a certain way at home and a different way in the workplace. It's okay to eat out in certain restaurants outside, even though at home our dishes are all kosher, but outside not. Tragically, I just saw recently, and there was a the first reform um, school, I don't want to call it Yeshiva Chasasham, there was a reform um, seminary in America, um, without mentioning the name, but there's newspaper reports that at the Smicha, at the rabbinical ordination, is going back, you know, probably at least a hundred years ago, maybe more. There was a smicha ceremony that, at the smicha ceremony, they served shellfish. They served trafin of fish at the smicha ceremony. <laughs> it's such a tart disaster, right? That's a tart disaster. That's a stereo. That's a contradiction. That's that's an anomaly. At a smicha ceremony where you're ordaining newly minted rabbis that are supposed to stick to halacha, they're serving shellfish, that's what they're serving, how could that be? The answer is that you're in America now. You're in America, it's a free country, it's a new paradigm, it's a new, these are new shores, and it's a different world. What was true for those old, antiquated, Religious Jews in Poland, Lithuania, pre-war is now, it's different here. It's different here. And the plates are different. It's Kalem Mikalem Shainim. It's a new time. It's a new age. It's a new era. Embrace it. Accept it. That's this is the way it is. And Baruch Hashem, we don't have that Nisayan. Or if we did, we were able to be Zaycha today to not have it. But be careful. Because it's very easy to slip and to slide on this slippery slope. 
of the world today, people that are from one minute could be not from the next minute because they're carrying crystal and it shatters very quickly and very easily. And Purim is a time that we could come and we could daven like you never daven before. Purim is a day of tefillah. It's a day of bakasha, but it's more than that. It's a day of reaffirming inside, this is who I am. I'm a nice day I'm a yid that carries my vessels proudly and loyally. And when we do that, that's a Purim. And that's a Purim that will extend to the next Purim because the Yiddishkeit and the beauty, the Eira, the Simcha, the Sas and the Yikara Purim will be so ingrained in our, in our, in our system that it won't want to leave. It will stay with us forever and ever. So my bracha is to all of us that we should be proud Naisei Kalim. We should never fall into the trap of a Kalim Kalim Shainen. And we should have a beautiful Purim in the right place. Be in the right place on Purim. Don't squander a minute. Either learn Davin or engage in the Mitzvah Sayyayim, but don't waste your day. Every second counts on Purim. It's days that we fill up our veins with Tiradika blood that makes us proud card-carrying members, plate-carrying members of Klal Yisrael. Have a wonderful Purim and a good Shabbos.